The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. I don't know about you, but I find those statements hard to believe. They're true. They're from the Bible. And God wants you and I to not only believe them, but to live them out. We're going to start a four-week series that I get the honor of kicking off today called Unbelievable, looking at uh, four ideas from Scripture. They come from Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 uh, that are a result, direct result of what we celebrated last weekend. Last weekend was Easter. Thanks for being here if you were here with us. Uh, if you missed that, you can go back and watch my adorable nine-year-old daughter who can read better than I can. Um, thank you for that. Uh, and we talked about how Jesus made us right in God's sight when God raised him from the grave. As a result of that, we now read what we will read this morning in Romans chapter 5 in the verses that continue. And all of these statements, as unbelievable as they might seem at first, are true. And if we understood them, if we lived them out in our life, oh, how different you and I would look from the world. That's our hope for this series. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to do that. So join me in praying this morning as we get started. Holy Spirit, thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for already being at work in our lives before we ever got up and got ready and walked in the doors of this church. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in a way that only you can. We're talking about a topic that is near and dear that we've all experienced this this morning. And I just ask that you would do something that only you can. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise this morning, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Five years ago, uh, the, let's see here, Supreme Court Chief Justice, that is a title, okay? Uh, His name was John Roberts at the time, five years ago, and he gave a commencement, a graduating commencement speech to a ninth grade class, including his son, Uh, and in it uh, is this quote, and this was read to me five years ago by another pastor, but I want to share it with you this morning. It says this. Now, the commencement speakers will typically also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that, and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in your life and understand that your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, and you will from time to time, I hope now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others, and I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend upon your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. I listened to that as a pastor read that to us, 
And he asked us to begin praying that over if we had kids, kids at the time. And so I began praying that over my kids. Misfortune. Well, and behold, the next uh, fall, we jumped into school. And uh, if you've, you're a kid in here, you know this. The schools have spirit week. If you're a parent, you also know because it's like the week your kids lose their ever-living mind and wake up at 6.15 so they can get their outfits on, right? And uh, on that Thursday, particular Thursday, was Derby Day. Uh, we all know what Derby Day is, big hat day basically, right? You just wear any kind of hat you want. My daughter at the time had a sun hat with one of those big floppy bills. And so she was so excited because she got to wear a sun hat to school that day. And so as she put that on, she was, I mean, they were just pumped to go to school. And uh, you saw her, she just kind of skipped over to the bus. She was so excited and happy and got on the bus and took off. That was a Thursday. And at that time we had Thursday evening services. And so I was able to be home when she got off the bus. When she got off the bus, it was a completely different Emma. She had that, hand, that hat that was on her head when she got on in her hand. She was staring directly at the concrete and she was walking back towards the house defeated. We, I asked her how the day was. She didn't say anything as we crossed into the threshold of the house. She broke down into tears. You see, at some point during that day, there was a boy in her class that decided he didn't like her hat. So every time he passed by her, he slapped it off of her head and told her she looked stupid. So I got in my car and I went and found this little... No, <laughs> Don't think for a second that I wasn't like, who is this little first grade kid? I'm going to put him in his place. All right? Like, <laughs> local pastor beats up first grade kid, right? She started crying. She climbed up into my lap and... Uh, and I told her, I didn't want to dismiss it. I didn't want to move on from it. I didn't want to excuse it. I didn't want to tell her she was tough enough to take it, although she must have kept putting the hat on because he did it multiple times, which makes me proud. <laughs> She's fierce. And we, I don't remember exactly where we went from there. All I remember is that night, uh, we typically tag team the kids. And so she takes Emma, I take Taylor and we pray and do things before bed to get them calmed down. And I remember we both ended up in Emma's room and my wife was explaining to Emma uh, why this little boy might pick on or bully her. And she kind of talked about what might be going on in his world or why he might choose to do that. And it started to give her some perspective about the idea. Uh, and then my sweet little daughter asked if we could pray for him with tears that I have right now and a full heart, my sweet little girl discipled me that night at her bedside. I pray for things like this to happen to my kids because it's the only way for them to learn things. Sure, there's other ways, but you know this. When you and I run into problems, pain, misfortune, that's when we grow. That's when things take place that don't take place otherwise or anywhere else. And although bullying to you and I, I hope at this point is, is probably something that's in the past, there's other problems that arise. Maybe problems that you're experiencing right now. And I think I've done student mission for 16 years. There's a couple questions that rise to the top if you were to say, hey, what questions do kids ask you all the time? <laughs> How far is too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend? I hate that question. 
Actually, I love that question because <laughs> I love to just make them uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> some of you back there are here and know that. Um, second, I get asked this question a lot. How could a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? Okay, let me, a little soapbox. Let me stand on this for a second. And I understand exactly what I'm about to say to you. I hate that question. I hate it. Okay. Here's why. Because anybody that asks me that question, I want to ask them immediately. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? Adam and Eve are in the perfect beauty of Eden, and what do they do? They mess up, right? And then things happen to them. God God allows things to happen to them that that then we're still suffering from. You got Abraham who wanted a child and finally gets a child in old age, and what's God do? He says, go sacrifice him on the mountain. You think about Joseph. Joseph had dreams. He could do something that... None of us, very few, maybe even any of us in this room could do. We could see things and understand and interpret dreams. And what happens? His brothers dig a a ditch and they put him down in it and then they sell him into slavery. That's a trial, right? Daniel gets taken into captivity with his three buddies and they're forced to learn a different language. eat a certain uh, meal plan, although they, they rebuke that, right? But he's in captivity. That's a problem. That's not where he wanted to be. It's not where he wants to live. It's not where he's from. Mary is asked by God to carry the Savior of the world. And what's it do? It makes her an outcast. It makes her look down upon. I don't know if you know this or not. Mary's life was never the same after that. And then you got Paul. Paul's like the epitome of misfortune. Right? And we're going to look at some stuff Paul wrote this morning. And I'm going to tell you why Paul is worthy of listening to you. But like that dude's life, if you've read about it. But, but from the Garden of Eden all the way to the island of Patmos where John, by the way, who is in exile. That's not something good in case you forgot. Is writing Revelation. There is misfortune, problems, and mishaps all the way through it. To the people you and I would look at and say they're the heroes of the faith. You see, not only did they experience that, but Jesus promised it. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 16. This is, again, why I ask. If you're asking that question, my question back to you would be, have you read your Bible? Because in John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking, verse 33, there's three sentences to it. There's two promises. We're going to take them one at a time this morning. So don't miss point two. I'll come back to that in a minute. Promise number one is read like this. Verse 33 says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here it comes. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. I I don't know how plainer Jesus can tell you. If you're shocked because you're suffering right now, or if you're shocked because you have a problem, or because you feel like you've, you've lived a really good life and you still have really bad things that are happening, have you read John 16, 
promises you and I. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. You see, the heroes of our faith lived it. Jesus promised it and Paul wrote about it. And so if you have your Bibles, flip with me over to Romans chapter 5. Because last week we looked at Easter and we, we talked, uh, uh, we, we heard the story from Emma and I as we read that, but then we, we flipped over to Romans chapter 3 where Paul explains as a result of the resurrection, as a result of God raising Jesus from the dead, Jesus has now made you and I right in God's sight. But that's not where it ends, right? We've been made right in God's sight, but the, now there's chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Romans that are a direct result of the resurrection. Things that you and I can count on, things that you and I should know, things that you and I should believe and be living out. Paul ends kind of that explanation of what took place on Easter at the end of chapter 4, verse 25. He says, he being Jesus was handed over, uh, was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's what we talked about last week. And then he transitions quickly to chapter 5. Because we see this word, therefore. As a result of what Jesus did, God raising Jesus from the grave, therefore, now, this is true, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. All right, here it is. Unbelievable statement number one. Problems are good. Problems are good. That's what Paul's saying right now. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what Jesus, problems are good. And, and if you're like me, you look at Paul and you're like, really, Paul? Like you're going to sit here and try to tell me that. Like the things I've experienced in my life that have caused pain and suffering and problems, they're good. But listen, Paul is the greatest person to write this. I don't know if you've ever read 2 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians at one point, he gets kind of fed up and frustrated. I always love when people in the Bible get fed up and frustrated because then it gets good, right? Like, and, and I don't know if you've ever read this, but he, he says at one point, he says, if there's anybody that has a right to boast, I have more. And here's why, because I've suffered more than you've suffered. He says this, I was five times, Given 39 lashes. If you know your Bible well, you know that 40 lashes would have killed you. 39 is to bring you to the brink of death and to make you suffer healing. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. Five times that happened to Paul. I don't know about you, but that is pain. Physical, real pain. He said three times I was beaten with rods. I can't imagine that's much better. This is one time I was stoned. Do you know what the goal of stoning is? To kill someone. They weren't successful because I guess God still had more for Paul to do. 
And then I only get this one. Three times I was shipwrecked. What does that mean? Right? So like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, they ran the ship into the rocks of the edge and, you know, like Johnny Depp right off the edge, you know. I don't know. I don't think it's that. Because the next thing he says is that for a whole night and a whole day, he was adrift at sea. Like, greatest fear ever, right? No, thanks. You want to talk about suffering? You want to talk about pain? You want to talk about problems? That was Paul's life. For what? For Jesus. And so when Paul writes... We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. See, Paul understood what Jesus was saying in John 16. That when you and I face problems, suffering, trial, that it's good for us. It's good for you and I. Why? Well, he tells us. Because we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance for what? For following Jesus. How does that help me build endurance? Well, I don't know. When was the last time you went through something really, really difficult and hard? For me, it wasn't too long ago. You want to know when I am on my knees and before Jesus the most, it's not when everything's going great. It's when my life feels like it's falling apart. And it feels like I'm suffering. When I have problems that I can't fix, it develops endurance to follow Jesus. And what is our endurance Build, it builds character. Do you understand that? That I would not be a pastor if it wasn't for the problems that got placed in my life. Starting with the loss of my grandfather in seventh grade. Do you understand, like, a couple of years ago I did the journey and I write my narrative, which is like the story of your life, the ups and the downs. And do you realize what, what was like the defining thing of my narrative of this life on this earth is death. It's death. Lost my grandfather when I was in seventh grade and I started asking questions. I was scared to death to go to bed at night because it was dark and I thought this is what it is. Death is just me, my thoughts, and nobody else around me. I'm an extrovert, Okay. It led me to realize on my own, without anybody else's help, okay, the Holy Spirit, now that I look back. But in my mind, my own, I realized there had to be something more than this life. And I started searching for that. I found it at 16 in Jesus. But at 19, my grandfather, who was the person who poured into me the most spiritually for the first four years of my life, he died. (laughs) Dang it, Lord. I hate the day April 26th on my calendar because it's the day that my grandfather who poured into me died and four years later, it's the exact same day that my best friend who walked me through the loss of my grandfather died. Are you kidding, Lord? What kind of cruel joke is that? You want to know what those two things built in me? Endurance, character. The last thing Paul says, hope in my salvation. Because you know what? My grandfather knew Jesus. You know what? Betsy, my best friend, she knew Jesus. You know what? About three and a half years later, I lost a student in a car accident that was a part of my ministry. Who was driving that car? One of the boys in my small group. 
But you know what? She, she's in heaven. And you know where my hope is? My hope is in my salvation. Because one day I'm going to get to celebrate and experience life with them again. Eternal life. That's what our problems do for us. They're good because they're helping you endure. They're helping you build character. They're making you become more like Jesus so that you have hope in your salvation. You want to know what the fancy word is? It's sanctification. If you want to know the fancy word. Becoming more like Jesus. Paul helps us understand because sanctification is a big word. That's the first promise. Jesus says in 1633, if you flip back over there, keep Romans 5. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Promise number two. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Do you understand this? The save, our Savior, you and I, our Savior has already overcome the world, which includes your problems, which includes your pain, which includes your suffering, which includes your loss. He's already overcome it. That's the hope of our salvation. Listen, if he hadn't overcome the world, I wouldn't be here. I'm not following somebody who hasn't overcome this world. The only reason I'm here is because he's already overcome the world. And right now he is interceding on our behalf and he's preparing a place for you and me. That's my hope. That's what I'm longing for and looking for. And I love it. Paul says, listen, this hope that you have, verse 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is what I want you to know. Your problems, your pain, your suffering, your trials, your misfortunes, they're not meaningless. They're meaningful. They're full of life. The reason you go through them is because God wants to stretch you, grow you, and teach you. Because he's bigger than them. He's already conquered them. He's already declared victory. I wasn't going to do this, but I did in first service. I'm going to do it in this first service. Okay? There's this microscope, right? I'm going to take you back to eighth grade biology, chemistry. I don't know what class it was. I wasn't good at that stuff. Okay? <laughs> microscope. I believe has three lenses. You can correct me afterwards if I'm wrong. Here's the problem. When you and I are suffering, just take your life. I know this is weird. Just go with me. Take your life and put it in a petri dish, right? I think that's what it's called. A little thing that you put underneath the microscope. And if, if your whole life's there, well, you and I, when we're in our pain, the, all that we can see is 100 times magnification. We can see the problem and we can see how it's making us feel. People, this is why the church is important. This is why it's important for you to walk through life with other people who know Jesus. Because when you're going through pain like that, other people can come alongside you and say, hey, listen, God's got a plan for this. I don't know what it is, but he's got a plan. Hey, listen, if you need anything, I'm here. I'm praying for you. Hey, listen, I know somebody who's gone through something similar. Maybe they can walk with you and help you in the midst of this. You know what that does? It takes your magnification from 100 and switches it over to 60. All of a sudden, you can see your problem is a little bit bigger than what you saw before. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what you and I are supposed to do for each other. I pray like my wife and I have some people in our life that can help us move the lens so that we can see the bigger picture. But here's the thing. You and I have finite minds. We're not infinite. We don't see, we already read a scripture. Philip read the scripture is perfect. His ways are so much higher than our ways. 
Because the only person that can switch it over and see it at 40 and see the biggest picture, the whole picture of your life is God himself. And he knows, hey, you know what? You might be dialed into this one moment of problem and pain, but listen, I've got a bigger plan for you. There's so much more that you don't see right now. It's not a mistake that I lost my best friend in a car accident and three and a half years later, I get the phone call from this girl's sister. There were nine of us on staff. I was not the lead student pastor. This girl's sister calls me and I looked at it and I thought, I God, I cannot answer this phone call. I knew she was gone. And I answered it. And she asked, do you know where my sister is? I said, you need to go home. She said, Lance, I'm not kidding. Nobody else will pick up the phone. Do you know where my sister is? I said, please go home. She said, Lance, please. I said, she's gone. You need to get home. I'll meet you there. Why me? Because I've been through it. Because when Betsy died, I had a group of eight friends, best friends at Taylor. We were gathered up outside the chapel at Taylor. Thank goodness they rebuilt that thing and that spot no longer exists. But whose phone rings? It's my phone that rings. It's Betsy's mom, Jeannie. And I knew right then. Hey, Jeannie, where's Betsy? She said, Lance, she's in heaven. She's gone, and I need you to tell the rest of Betsy's friends there at Taylor. Nope. Why me, God? Why me? Because God was preparing me on the steps of our chapel for three and a half years later. Because God wanted to use my story to help a whole bunch of other kids through their story. Because the truth of this idea that problems are good is that each and every single one of you in this room, you have different problems. You have a different story. We talk all the time up here from this stage that we need your time, your talent, your treasures. That's true. That will always be true. But I think we miss the most important thing out of those. And yes, it's a T because I'm a pastor and that's what we do. It's your testimony. Your testimony is what changed lives. You talk about connecting every life to Jesus. You want to know how you can do that? Through your testimony, through your story. What is God taking you through? Listen, I don't know. A wise pastor on our staff said, don't stand up there and act like you know all their problems and act like they're easy. I'm not saying that. You might be in the midst of a problem right now that is so difficult, I couldn't even fathom it. But the truth is, is that you and I have a Savior who can. And not only do we have a Savior who can, but we have a Savior who's already overcome this world which presented that to you. And you want to know one of the ways that I found to heal from Betsy dying in a car accident my senior year, two months before we graduated? It's by allowing God to use my testimony in other people's lives as they've lost other people. We need your testimony. White River needs it. The kingdom of God needs it. And I know this is a little bit, uh, I don't know, an advertisement if you want, but it's not. Right, if you want to tell us your story, we would love to get you. Look, back there in the point right now are a bunch of high schoolers meeting. 
That is near and dear to my heart because I know what some of them are dealing with. And the truth is, is there's some of you in here that have dealt with what they're dealing with. And God could use you in a massive way in their life. Heaven forbid there are things going on in that eddy. With those elementary kids that are experiencing things that you experienced as a kid. And God could use you. Heaven forbid if it's happening back here in our babies. But it is. God could use your testimony. I want to do everything I can to help you use your testimony. Because the truth is there's some of you in this room that are experiencing something that two people, two seats behind you have already walked through. And maybe two seats in front of you are about to walk through. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what like moving that lens looks like. We need your testimony. We have a place. We would love for you to come and tell us your story so we might be able to connect you to somebody who might need your story. WRCC.org forward slash my story. You can do it through the app. You can come up here and tell me. And three people come up after service and say, this is my story. And you know what happened when they told me their story? Three people came to mind immediately. Because I try to convince our high school kids this all the time. There is nothing that they have experienced someone else hasn't already gone through. But what is Satan's first attack on us? You're the only one who's ever dealt with this. Nobody's ever going to understand you. They're going to look at you like you have six eyes if you tell them that. And that's just not true. It's not. The power of God is when we realize our problems are good. We faithfully walk through them with our eyes up to Jesus. And we allow him to use our pain, our mishaps, our problems and other people's lives for his glory. Your problems are good. And I'm praying for them both this past week and this next week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, for dying on a cross, for experiencing pain that I can't even fathom. Not just the physical pain, but being separated from a part of you, your Father. For us, so that we might not experience the consequence of our sin. And thank you, Jesus, for rising from the grave. I know that you didn't do that, that God did that for you. But as a result, now you are interceding on our behalf in the midst of our problems and our pain, our suffering, our trials, our mishaps and misfortunes. And thank you that you promised us that not only will we experience those, but you've already overcome them. And right now you're preparing a place for us in heaven. Oh, how I long for the day where there are no more tears. There's no more pain and there's no more suffering. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in your powerful and your precious name. Amen.